It's great to be here with you this morning. Uh, you know, some people were surprised that I was back. If you don't know, I had uh, surgery on my foot about a week and a half ago or so. And uh, I'm back because, to be honest with you, I was going stir crazy. And uh, I miss you guys. And so it's, it's great to be here with you. I was actually with you last week. In fact, I give a shout out to all those who are online because I was part of the online community at 9 o'clock last week and was uh, so thankful that I was able to participate even though I wasn't here. Um, but it's great to be here. Um, I had a question that was, well, was shot to me last night from a very good friend, and he asked this question, and he always asked good questions, and, and it was a little challenging when I got it. I've never been asked it in the 30-plus years I've pastored. Uh, they asked, uh, he asked this question. He said, where do, you, where do you find your sanctuary? Where do you find your sanctuary? That's a good question. So I thought about it for a minute, and I said, you know, I, I find my sanctuary in like my quiet time with the Lord. I find my sanctuary here when we gather together as believers. And, and as I began to process it a little bit, I, I really began to realize that really, it, it's not that I, I found my sanctuary in those places. I, my sanctuary is not in a place, it's in a person. That really my sanctuary is in Jesus Christ. And what happens is the time when I spend time alone with him, it helps me focus on him and he's my sanctuary. And when I gather together, and, and, and just with other believers like we do like this morning, it helps me focus on him. And that's my sanctuary, that, that my peace comes from Christ. It's not a place, it's a person. And, and I, didn't, I didn't respond that well uh, last night, but I responded better this morning, and he was here, so he got to hear the better answer. Uh, as I really began to process that, I, I don't know about you, but I need my soul refreshed. And it doesn't happen in events per se, but those events help me find it in the one who does it, which is Jesus Christ. And when Paul's writing this letter to Titus, I believe all my heart as we've been looking through it, that it's a letter talking about that. It's talking about Christ being our sanctuary. It's talking about what does it really look like for the church to be structured in a way that we all together can be growing toward him and, and living the life that he calls us to live. It's really, when you, when you really boil it down, and it's interesting that it's last sort of, his block of teaching. Uh, next week's an interesting part of the book that we're going to look at as we finish up Titus. But in this, in this little book, these big lessons, it's, it's really a book about unity, unity with Christ, unity with one another, living in such a way that we make an impact in the culture around us. In fact, unity in the church is essential for fostering a strong sense of community, promoting shared values, and working together to do good, fulfilling the church's mission and the church's purpose. And that's what we're going to look at in this passage. This passage really explores what is our responsibility and how do we avoid foolishness and how do we deal with divisive people. And I think it's a timely message. I mean, it was timely when, when Paul wrote it. It's timely today because we live in a very divisive culture. And so how do we as believers, unified with Christ, unified with one another, how do we live in a way that's not divisive? Now, what's interesting is not only a culture divisive, but remember, Paul's writing to Titus about the church. He's not writing about those sort of outside the church. He's writing about the church family, the church community. And he's saying, how do you deal with divisiveness among each other? And, and the reality is that you've got to avoid foolishness. And, and the Bible, in the Bible, foolishness is often associated with a lack of wisdom and understanding or reverence of God. In, in fact, it, the scripture tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And that fear of really means respect, honor, and all. When we really begin to understand who God is, that's the beginning of wisdom. So if you want to know, if you want to have more wisdom, how, where do we start? We start with God. We start with understanding who he is and what he has for us. And so with all that said, let, let's jump into our passage this morning, Titus 3, 
verses 8 through 11. And you maybe recall verse 8. It was Pastor Betty's message last week. Was, was, we had verse 8 in it as well, and we'll get to that in a moment. Why, why is it in last week's passage and this week's passage? It's an interesting verse. But verses 8 through 11. The saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have been believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law for they are unprofitable and worthless. As were a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he's self-condemned. So again, this, this interesting verse, verse eight, the saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. And what's interesting about verse 8 is, is that scholars, Bible scholars, have put that verse like as a to sort of outline the book of Titus. They've put it both with the passage we looked at last week, Titus 3, 4 through 7. And some have put it right at the beginning of the one we're going to look at, uh, Titus 3, 9 through 11. And because of our Western mindset, it's always sort of, we always want to, it's like either or, right? So it, does it go with last week's passage or this week's passage? And, and somewhere along the line, a smart scholar went, yes. And it so blows our Western minds, right? Which is it? And the scholar said, yes. It's a hinge verse. It connects last week's passage with this week's passage. And so you can't really look at last week's passage without looking at eight. And you can't look at this week's passage without looking at eight. Why? Well, because last week, if you remember, we looked at the grace of God. And that salvation doesn't come from our works. It comes solely on the work that Christ did on the cross. So we're saved because Jesus died for our sins, resurrected for our salvation. And that's the grace of God. So when people say, well, how are you saved by the grace of God? I, I, I received Jesus as Lord and Savior. I said yes to him. He did all the heavy lifting. Amen, church? And so that's so important. So eight says, insist on these things, but also insist on this. That is, if we're in Christ, we have a responsibility to keep the main thing the main thing, to not to be drawn off task by foolishness, and to protect the church. And so it's this beautiful hinge verse of, of, of what God is doing. Those who have experienced God's grace should make every effort to show it through the way we live. And, and so this is crucial to understand. Good works are not the cause, but the necessary fruit of our salvation. So oftentimes in conversations, you've had and you might have thought it. Sometimes I think I even find myself still trapped into believing that, that, that it's like you, you're saved by grace, but then you have to remain a believer by working really hard. And no, no, the same grace that saved us is the same grace that keeps us in the hands of our precious Lord and Savior. But if we have the grace of God in us and we're becoming more like Jesus, it shouldn't surprise us that we should reflect that. Isn't that right? And so that's what's being spoken of here. Good works are not the cause, but the necessary fruit of our salvation. We're to keep the gospel in focus at all times and not allow other things to become primary. And so right off the bat, Paul's teaching us, God's teaching us through Paul, through his word, that believers are who are recipients of God's grace are expected to do good and live in alignment with their faith, not focused on useless things. Not focused on useless things. I was trying to wrap this, my mind around this, and I, I sort of got this, this imagery of, of two different individuals living in two houses on the same street. 
One individual spent their time, right? They're, they're, they're grooming their yard. They're, they're growing beautiful flowers. They're, they have a garden in the back. I mean, it, it is this, this immaculate yard. And, and what they do is they bless others. They take the flowers, they, they trim them down, they take them to their neighbors, they take fruit of their garden you know, to, to their neighbors. They're sharing, they're blessing those around them. And then there's another person on the street and all he does is collect rocks. You know, he's like putting rocks all over the place. There's no real rhyme or reason. He just likes rocks and sometimes the rocks get in the neighbor's yard and, and all these type of things. And, and the neighbors are really sort of ticked off at it because like, you know, what, what, what are you doing? It's sort of making our whole neighborhood look bad and get your rocks off my property type of thing. And instead of this individual being a person who's blessing others, he's sort of cursing others. He's arguing over foolish things like rocks and stuff like that. And you go, that's sort of a silly illustration, but is it? Because every single day, we're given the opportunity to either bless others or curse others. I, I find this even within the church. Like this, this whole passage is talking about conflict within the church. But I find it with the way that the church looks at the culture outside the church. So many times, I think, as, as the church, whom God, when, when, he, when he sent his son, Jesus Christ, and Jesus is, is, is about to pray over his apostles, and he prays with us over us in that prayer. Think about 2,000 years, Jesus prays over us in that prayer specifically. He says, I pray for you and those who will come after you. We're, we're those who came after them, right? And part of that he says is, they'll know that the world will understand why I came because of your love for one another. Now let's do that in reverse. If we're not showing love to one another, if love isn't radiating from our, la- our life, and guess what? How much more confusing must it be for people to understand why Jesus came? Think about it. And sometimes when we look at the culture as a church, what do we do? It's like we speak curses on them instead of blessings. And God's saying, pray a blessing on them. Not a blessing that they head in the wrong direction. Not a blessing that God doesn't give them wake-up calls so that they'll come to Jesus because we want them to be blessed in Christ. Right, church? Oh, if you want to get to lunch, you better get more, more onto it than that. We want to see them come to Christ. Right, church? Oh, okay, now you're convincing me. Yeah, we do. But, but, the, but the way we do that is by praying blessing on them. That when we're heading into these areas and, and things aren't going, Lord, would you, would you show yourself in such a way? What is the blessing? That they will come to you, then things will change. So many times as a church, we want things to change, and then I guess if they come to Jesus, that's the icing on the cake. Yet when everything's said and done, if I understand the main thing, the main thing is to know God and make him known. And if they act right but don't know Jesus, then they haven't changed at all. At least not in a way that matters for eternity. But if they come to Jesus, and by the way, then have the power to change, that's a different story. Now, I'm sure I'm the only one in this room, the only one who's listening online, the only one in the chapel, I get it, I'm the only one who still finds it challenging to live for Jesus as a Christian. Yet I'm filled with the Spirit of God. And yet I still have challenges. And, and so why would I expect those who don't have the Spirit of God living in them not to have challenges? That seems a little ridiculous, Right? It's like you have every right to come out to me and say, Craig, I saw you do this. Get your act right, man. You're, you're a child of God. But wouldn't it be weird to say to an unchild, someone who's not a child of God, to be a child of God, to act like a child of God if they don't know Jesus? All right, church, come on. <laughs> so we shouldn't focus on useless things or religious debates, and we should deal with the vice of people. And so Paul continues down this journey through, through these verses. Look at verse 9. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law. They're unprofitable and worthless. 
Think about that. Foolish controversies, genealogies, dissension, all these things. They're unprofitable and useless. And Paul is more than likely speaking about speculative theology. Speculative theology. In other words, when we look at Scripture, there, there are essential things to the doctrine that are worth us correcting each other on. In-house talk, right? The church. Making sure we're on the same page. And there's a number of things that I find many people in the church sometimes argue about that, to be honest, isn't clear in Scripture. Now, let me let you in on something, if you haven't already figured it out. Those things that are clear in Scripture are meant to be clear. Because we should understand them. For the essential doctrine matters. These non-negotiables are beliefs that are fundamental to the faith. And, and they center around like the nature of God. Have you found that if you just read the scripture, you can learn who God is? Like when people say, well, God's not a loving God, you go, well, yeah, 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 actually he is. It's just your definition of love isn't the biblical definition of love. Well, how do you know? Because he defines love. We don't. Right? Come on now. How about that Jesus Christ is God, the divinity of Christ, clear in scripture? Like that's, that's, worth, that's worth correcting over. The nature of salvation and the building upon that, that you can't understand the nature of salvation, that salvation is by grace alone through the work of Christ. If you don't understand that Jesus is God, the only one who could pay the price for our sin and understand that he would only do it because it's in God's nature to love and to give. So that's worth having the conversation about. What are some of the non-essential disputes? Well, it's, it's theological practice. It's not central to salvation or, or holy Christ-like living. I've had a lot of conversations with people about the end times. Imagine that. I shared that a couple weeks ago. And, and this is where I still land today, okay? It, it, it may not sound quite brilliant, but I'll tell you this. People say, is Jesus coming back soon? And I'll say, well, I know this. You heard me say this a couple weeks ago if you are here. I know for a fact we're a day closer than we were yesterday. I also know that the apostles thought he was coming back in their lifetime. They did. They, they thought, yeah, there were believers who were like, oh, getting ready. And, and, and like, oh, he's coming back right now. And guess what? They were wrong. How do I know they were wrong? Because they're dead. <laughs> Every generation has thought their generation was the one. And, and here's what I would say to you this morning. Are the signs there? Yeah, and they've always been there, by the way. And I, I can't get in that whole conversation. But I mean, God, God can come back whenever God chooses to send Christ back. He's God after all, I'm not. He waits because he's patient. He's giving people opportunity to respond to him. And I'm so thankful that he waited for me. How about you? But, th but this, this is what I know. He's coming back. Be ready. It's amazing to me, the people who are like scared. He may be coming. Just be ready. You don't have to be scared. Anticipate it. Because here's the reality. The message is be ready because there's so many people. Are you coming back in my lifetime? Because I, do I have time? It's like you don't even know if you have time. Like, you might not have the rest of the day. I just want to encourage you this morning, leave here, you know, woo, pastor said I could die. You could. <laughs> if you don't know it, let me let you in on a little secret. We're more fragile than we like to admit. I went in for surgery, right? They, they didn't even put me totally under. They gave me this, like, sleep state thing they called about. It sounded pretty cool, and it was. And the and, and and last thing I know, they say, they say okay, we're going to take it. It was outpatient. We're going to take you back. Okay. And then I'm sitting there. I'm like, they didn't take me anywhere. And they're like, are you okay? I'm like, what do you mean? Did you do the surgery? They did the surgery. I was like, I could have went, oh, yeah, take me back. And then all of a sudden, Jesus? You know, is something going to happen? I don't know. I just want to be ready. And the message for us to share with those around us is be ready. Don't put it off. Just be ready. Don't want to be fearful. Be ready. If you're ready, you're ready. But listen, if it has no kingdom value, if it's not advancing God's kingdom, it's just useless talk. 
Does that make sense? Like, if it's not advancing, it's useless talk. I mean, there are churches, and they argue about worship. You know, is it, they didn't play my song this week. You know, I'll let you in a little secret. I did last service, too, so it's becoming less of a secret. There are weeks where I wish they played my song. I mean, there's a couple of songs. I'm like, man, I wish they played my song. And then I remember worship isn't about me. And so I go, I wish they had played my song. And God goes, it's not about you. It's about me. I want him playing my song. And I always, and I sort of chuckle to myself. What if he says, I don't even like your song? <laughs> I said, I'm my favorite. That's, uh, that's why I inspired him to play a different song, because your song isn't all that good, you know? <laughs> you, you see what I'm saying? And, and I love it. You know, I don't like it, but churches split over like the color of carpets sometimes. And it's like, if you're worshiping God, you shouldn't be looking at the carpet anyway. Get over yourself. Come on now. <laughs> that's good stuff. So let's focus on the stuff that matters. Loving God and loving people. Believers are to avoid engaging in pointless and divisive disputes. And that can be hard. I don't know how you're wired. But I'm wired as like the devil advocate person in a conversation. I love that. Like I can have a conversation with a group of friends and I'll throw something in the midst and, and then at the end they'll say, well, I thought you believed it. No, I just want to know what you guys believed. Anyone have, I'm the only one again, huh? Okay. You know? So I get it. The me without Jesus probably is a person who sort of is there in the midst of this stuff. That's why God inspired Paul to write and say, hey, Craig, no disputes, man. Don't argue. Conversations are one thing. Arguments are another. An argument is when someone else is saying something, you're not listening to them because you're just getting ready to say what you want to say. And then you say it and they don't listen to you and they get ready to say what they want to say. Useless. Conversations helpful. Useless arguments. Believers are avoiding, avoid engaging in pointless and divisive disputes. And then Paul writes this, verses 10 through 11. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Philip's translation says this. He says, you can be sure that such a person has a moral twist and knows it. A moral twist. Have you ever had a moral twist? <laughs> I have. A moral twist. Think about that for a minute. That Paul's really encouraging us. God, through Paul, through his word, is encouraging us to make sure that we're, we're not being drawn into to useless conversations. Even with a divisive person, he says, look, warn him once, warn him twice, and have nothing to do with him. And it's not talking about shunning. It's talking about graciously doing our due diligence to help the person who's causing division to stop doing it. And then when they stop doing if they're not going to stop doing it, distance ourselves from them. Paul's instructing Titus to, to, to not conduct a witch hunt, but to follow biblical guidelines and, and offer truth, love, and forgiveness. Have you ever heard the saying, I'm sure you have, the squeaky wheel gets the, gets the attention? Paul's saying, don't let the squeaky wheel get the attention. I mean, correct it once, correct them twice, then just distance yourself. And that's so important because if you have my personality, it's like, no, 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 no. I'm, I want them to get right. Stop causing division. And you're saying, yeah, focus your time on that when all these people around you don't know Jesus. Like, that's a great way to be distracted, isn't it? A witch hunt. He's saying, do your due diligence. Love the person. But after a couple of times, get to the work that I've called you to, to know me and make me known. 
Like that's the work of the kingdom. So make sure you're doing those things. Warning correct. Now, by the way, some of you laughed when I talked about the way I am without Jesus and sort of uh, that correction type thing. But you know, this, this is the reality. I, I love studying personality stuff. I do. I've been doing it for 40 years, which is amazing because I'm only 25. And, 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 and I've been studying for a long time and, and I just love it. I just love it. I, 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 I'm one of those people, I love people watching. Yeah, it makes me a little creeper. I get it. But I love watching and just seeing how they interact with each other. I love it. And I, it's just, I, I just enjoy that type of thing. As a matter of fact, my wife loved it when I had a staff because I used to come up and say, take this personality test. And she goes, I already took 20. No, take it, please. And then all of a sudden, I've got, I don't have to ask you anymore. I'll just have the staff do it because they get paid to do what I do. And so just take the test and, and I'll learn more about you. And so I just love it. And my personality says, but I understand I'm an oddity and more than you know, um, my personality type is within 15% of our culture. And actually can narrow it down with 5%. So like 5% is like, woo, we're together. But like that's a minority if you don't realize that there's another 95% out there. And 85 if you take the, the bigger picture one. 65% of you, I know this without even testing it. 65% of you are what's known as phlegmatics. You want peace at all measure, all cost. All you want is peace. When there's conflict, some of you are shaking your heads already, yes. When there's conflict, your gut just goes, ugh. Some of us sort of have that, that, that obnoxious warrior spirit, you know? So when there's conflict, you're like, well, we're going to take care of this. To those, Paul wrote that first part. Don't be drawn in, man. Remember your mission. Do what needs to be done. Do your due diligence, but don't, don't make that the focus of your life. People need Jesus. But for the 65% of you, here's the part I get to go, oh, okay. Do your due diligence. See, when you see divisiveness within the church, you got to speak up. You got to say, look, I don't like doing this. Matter of fact, it makes me a little sick to my stomach, but God wants us to be unified in him. And this issue isn't helping the kingdom at all. Let's get to it. The isolation is a last resort. And it isn't a statement that says that we're going to shun them. It's just distancing. One of my professors in undergrad, Keith Jury, he said this. It was so profound when he said it. And I thought, man, someday I wish I could just come up with something that profound. He said, the job of the under-shepherd is to keep the wolves and sheep's clothing away from the sheep. Now, who's the under-shepherd? Every one of us who's under the shepherd. So if you're a believer, you're an under-shepherd. And the job of the under-shepherd is to keep those in wolves' clothing, those who are divisive, those who are hurtful, away from the sheep. And so my prayer often is this, when someone's new to Christ, when they made this new decision to the Lord, Lord, help them meet the right believers. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> have you ever been around the wrong believers? And all their main issues have nothing really to do with the kingdom or seeing people come to Jesus. It's all this other stuff. Keep them away from them and put them in the people who really are excited about the kingdom. So that's contagious stuff, right? As a matter of fact, if you hang around people who have stinking thinking, guess what type of thinking you're going to have? <laughs> if you hang around people who have kingdom thinking, yeah, you know what I'm going to say. I mean, here's the reality. Remember the question my friend asked me about the sanctuary? Where's your sanctuary? It's not in a place, it's in a person. But places do help me. When I'm around people who love Jesus, guess what stirs within me? When I'm around people who believe in each other, guess what stirs in me? When, I, when I'm around people who look at the world, which by the way, is in chaos. I mean, what's happening in the Middle East breaks my heart in so many levels. Don't have time to even go into it. 
But it also breaks my heart. You may not realize there's an extermination of believers in Armenia. Armenia is the very first state ever to declare themselves a Christian state back in the day. Not so true now, but back in the day. First Christian state. And, and they are being wiped out as believers. The believers in that state are being killed, executed because they're believers. No one's talking about that, but it's happening. Our brothers and sisters in Christ. And you say, well, where's their sanctuary? Well, it's not a church because so many of them aren't able to go. It's with Jesus. And they're focused on him. And, and, and that's, where, they're, that's where, they're, where their whole identity comes from. It comes from Christ. And when the world's in chaos, it, it, it's not about trying to find security and, and trying to make everything right. It's, it's finding the one who is right and being right in him and being a game changer in the conversations we have with others. See, believers must do the difficult work to protect unity and peace within the Christian community. And so what has Paul done in this little book with big lessons? He's taken us on a journey, hasn't he? He's, he's saying, listen, if you're a believer, if you're a recipient of God's grace, you're expected to do good works, live good works, stay focused on those good works, don't be distracted. In fact, avoid engaging in pointless and divisive disputes. Don't allow yourself to get distracted. And you get so distracted in this culture. Always probably have been able to, but we have access to so much stuff. And you've heard me say this. I love that because I'm one of those geeks where like, we're like, what is that? I don't know. I'd look it up. You can like do that right now, right? You guys realize that, right? Come on. If not, just come talk to a younger person. I'll show you how to use your phone. You can actually find that stuff. But you know what? You can find a whole lot of stuff you shouldn't find. You can be a part of great conversations. This week I was laid up at home. Stir crazy. So I just Zoomed people. You can do that. I was part of meetings. I mean, it was really cool, actually. And you can only see it from here. So like I was like in sweats and a nice shirt. You know, and having these conversations. It was great. But you know what? You can be a part of conversations you shouldn't be a part of, too. Be careful. And if you see anyone that's being divisive and, and causing disunity in the church, fight for unity, fight for peace, Paul writes. Paul clarifies that believers must prioritize good deeds, not foolish disputes. He emphasizes just the importance of keeping the main thing the main thing. And what is it? It's to know God and make him known. I wonder, when was the last time, look, I'm not, I'm not picking on anybody. Just, just let this sink in for a minute. When was the last time you prayed revival would break out in your home? With your spouse and your kids, your friends. When was the last time you headed off to work and you dared to pray, Lord, would you break out a revival in this place? You go, Craig, you don't know where I work. You don't know my God then. Last time we went to school, right? Your schoolmates, Lord, break out a revival in this school. When I was in high school, it was a little hokey, but we called our school Gibbs Christian High School. It was a, it was a public school, by the way. And nearly 100 of us would gather before school and pray that God would just, just penetrate our, our campus. And so we, would, we, in our group, called it Gibbs Christian High School. And trust me, many of my friends were like, this is not a Christian place. And they weren't even Christians. They just knew it. And I'm like, no, no, but we're claiming it for Jesus. Was a whole school where they all saved? No, I wish they were. But I'll tell you what, more were than weren't. In the sense of if we didn't pray that, I bet we wouldn't have been mindful to share Christ with them. 
Now, was the majority saved? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying more were than weren't because if we were focused and going, man, this school's just not living for Jesus. Let's distance ourselves. Let's not be a part of it. Let's not, let's not show the love and power of God. No one would have ever came into the kingdom, but because they did, I had a Satanist in the back of a, of a science class who said, hey, do you have something for me to read? And I thought, well, he's a Satanist, so maybe I'll just give him the book of Revelation. And I gave him the book of Revelation. He said, this is some wild stuff, man. And I said, yeah, you want to be on the right side of it. And one day in the back of the science class, when I should have been paying attention, sorry, teachers, right now I just apologize. But he said to me, he said, I need to know Jesus. This thing's scaring me. I said, you don't have to be scared if you're a believer. He goes, yeah, I'm picking that up, man. And he came to Christ right there. If I had had a different mindset, thank God, that's not me, that's God. If God hadn't given me a different mindset, a different way of looking at my school, I truly believe he never, ever would have came to Christ. I certainly wouldn't have been carrying my Bible to school. By the way, you have a Bible on your phone right now, so everyone can't carry a Bible without carrying a Bible. Anyway, that's a whole other story. Man, just praying blessings on people, not being a curse. The church's call is to maintain good works, fostering unity through truth and love and harmony. It's, it's believing, it's exemplifying the teachings of Christ. And I know we're not always perfect at that, but man, we're being perfected. Isn't that the truth? God, make me more like you. I was thinking about all this in the, in the book of Titus as a whole, and you realize that Jesus is our anchor. Just like an anchor sort of keeps a boat steady amidst turbulent waters, that Christ is our anchor. And I couldn't help, as, as, as it was new to me, when, when that question was asked, who's your sanctuary? It's the same question I could be asked, well, who is really your anchor? Is your anchor culture? Is your anchor what, 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 what's going on around you? Because listen, if your anchor is what's going on around you, we're all in trouble. Have you realized that? If your anchor, who is the next person who's going to be elected in whatever position, I don't care who they are, God help you, literally. Because if I understand Scripture right, there's really only one Savior. <laughs> Come on now. There's only one Savior. And here's the good news. He's available to all of us. Doesn't matter what you've done, what people say. He's available to you. So Paul says what? Come on, church. He says, come on. He says what? Focus on the main thing, knowing God making him known. Don't be drawn into foolishness. Choose Jesus. Make sure there's not divisiveness. Be unified so that in the times where we gather and focus on Christ, it helps us, helps us understand who our sanctuary is, understand who our anchor is, so that as we scatter, we can truly be the everyday missionaries he's called us to be in our homes, in our schools, in our workplaces, in the places we play. I mean, for goodness sakes, we joke all the time that Wegmans after church is like Crosswind's third, third service. <laughs> if you want to see someone from the here, just go to Wegmans. You'll probably see each other. <laughs> wow, revival breakout at Wegmans this afternoon. <laughs> and again, you say, Craig, that's crazy. I mean, you don't know my God. Because he does that type of stuff. He does that type of stuff when we just trust and believe. I don't know what you're asking God for in your life, but he's bigger than your challenges. He's bigger than your conflicts. He's bigger than divisiveness. He's worthy of our attention. And I pray that as your soul's been refreshed, and I pray it has been. I know mine has been just being here with you. As your soul's refreshed, that as we leave this place, we stand for the truth. We stand for the truth, but we do it in a way that blesses people, not speaks a curse on them. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for just the way that your word draws us to you. 
that every time that we encounter your word, that you're, you're speaking to us. And when people ask, do you hear from God? I'm like, yeah, every day, every day when I'm in his word. And this morning, your words are just so refreshing that I don't have to fix everything. That I don't have the power to be anyone's savior. But that you invite all of us to receive you as Savior and Lord. And that as we do that, that we can keep the main thing the main thing, to know you and make you known. In our conversations, speaking blessings on people, not curses. When we see a culture going the wrong way, that, that Lord God, we pray that they would be blessed. How, not blessed in the doing of wrong, but blessed in the sense of that they come to their senses and, and come to find salvation in you, as many of us have. If someone's yet to receive you as Lord and Savior, why not even now, whether in this space or down the chapel or watching online, God, that they would simply come to you and thank you for dying for our sins, being resurrected for our salvation, that, Lord, they would receive you as our Lord and Savior. It's a game changer for eternity. And may we be reminded when everything's said and done, we can take nothing with us but people. So give us a heart for those around us. Give us a heart for one another. May the world see us as a church family so in love with you and so in love with each other that they're drawn to you through us. Help us keep focused on you. Help us not be distracted. Help us fight for unity. And God, thank you that you're the one that makes all this possible. You're the one that gives all this meaning. You're the one who has given it all so that we can be in this relationship with you and one another. We praise you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.